Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I am Jen White. I know that last week Ellen forgot to introduce herself, so I'm going to introduce myself. But uh, I'm here with Ellen Trackman, who is my sister and apparently a little forgetful about introducing herself. Yes, Uh, That's okay, though. We all have so much in our lives going on, so many things to consume, um, which like social media is one of those things, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So so Ellen, that's you, what I was on social have, media uh, while recording. Do, that's why I forgot. That's... While recording, that's where you forgot. Like maybe I definitely have some issues with like which social media I consume. So um, like, which social um, media social media you consume? What what do you consume? Um, I definitely like doom scroll on Facebook because I'm old. Yeah. And I totally admit that. And um, I go through like weird waves of tiktok like then i'll watch it for a while and then i'll just be like oh i'm tired and i won't Mm. anymore for a long time but uh instagram not so much i don't get it and i forget to log into it so what about you um so i definitely do the facebook and sometimes there'll be like a reel and then you just like start flipping through those and the algorithm is like oh you love dog reels and I was like yes I do I do love puppies talking and other things so the yeah the algorithm definitely knows me um LinkedIn I loved for like looking at people that's always helpful to remind me about what people do and what they're up to um and I do go on go on the gram go on insta occasionally and um, (laughs) check out what's on there although a lot of people you know have overlap between Facebook and Instagram so sometimes it's repeat but I will say from Instagram Mm. for many years now I have seen these beautiful pictures and these beautiful stories of families specifically from gays with kids and I've always really admired all of their work with telling stories about families and these beautiful pictures so this this um this interview was a real treat to hear the story behind it and the goals behind it so so I'm really excited about this interview Yay. I say, I know outside this interview, I've actually talked to him before as well. And he's just a fun human being. So um, this interview was super fun for me. And I hope everybody else enjoys it as much as we did. Welcome, Brian Rosenberg to the podcast. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> We're so glad to have you. So for those who somehow don't know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And then we can dive into your, your story. Sure. Um, I'm Brian. I've been married to my husband for it'll be 10 years in June. We got married on our 20th anniversary, which Aww. yes, if you do the math, thank you. It means he took me when I was very, very young. Um, <laughs> um, Scandal. Yes, yeah, right. We have three children. We create our family through a combination of adoption and surrogacy. Um, I am also HIV positive. I have been HIV positive for more than 30 years. And I like to share that I'm the biological parent to our twin girls born through surrogacy. And I share that only to let other HIV positive people out there know that they too can choose to be biological parents if they so Yeah. Yes. That that is so so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so let's go back. I mean, well, first I say before I want to like not bury the lead, but you are also the founder of Gays with Kids, which we will pop around and talk to you in a second. But let's go back and talk about your story, about your family building story. Sure. So um, back, so we, you know, back when I was young and I, I met my husband, and I was actually twenty eight. I wasn't quite as young as I. <laughs> <laughs> and and how, how did you meet? Do you have a good meet story? do but for my husband said sounds it much better um <laughs> but basically we met the way gay men used to meet uh before the advent of apps and websites and that was at the gym um yeah. and um uh i had just recently started to come out to my i come out to my family and i hadn't quite yet come out even to my my friends yet um and I moved into Boston South End, which was at the time very much the gay village in Boston. And uh, saw him over the course of a couple of months. I had my, remember I had my first gay friend um, and I confided in him that I was HIV positive. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I confided in him that I, I really thought Ferd was attractive. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to me, he was also friendly with Ferd, which he didn't share with oh. me. <laughs> and um, one day he was with Ferd, and Ferd pointed me out to him. And the guy said, oh, you got to be careful about him. Um, he's Jewish, and he's HIV positive. So I didn't know he was also anti-Semitic. Oh, um, no. no. It's like he's HIV positive. And so then um, a couple of months later, Ferd and I officially met. It... Um, it was a Friday of Father's Day weekend. Um, he we hung out for a couple of hours, and um, and then we agreed to make plans to see each other on Sunday, which was Father's Day, and that was going to be our first official date. Mm-hmm. Um, I went home to North Shore, where I grew up, and spent the day with my my family. My dad um, came back into Boston and for, this is how old we are. We went and saw the movie Jurassic Park, the very <laughs> first Jurassic Park. Wow. <laughs> and then we went, then we went and got um, pie, slice of pie. And then Ferd invited me back to his place and we started making out. And I sort of interrupted him and said, Hey, there's something I need to tell you. And he said, no, nope, I already know. I said, no, no, Ferd, I, I really need to tell you something. And he said, I know. I said, you don't know this. And we started, started getting wow. upset with him. He said, I know, you're HIV positive. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, and then he, he told me how he found out. And basically, we we didn't officially move in together for another three months, but we spent every you know every night together and every waking moment that Aww. we were both free together since then. That's amazing. And how early in your relationship did you talk about maybe wanting to be parents? Uh, not at all then. So yeah. this this was 1993. And during those times, I mean, this was right in the thick of the HIV AIDS yeah. crisis. And I, as I said, I was already HIV positive. And during those years, God, I probably went to some 30 funerals of guys in their wow. 20s and 30s. Hmm. I remember we went to someone, someone died and he was like 40 years plus several months. And what we all said at the funeral was, wow, he lived to be so old. I hope only that I can live that long. Wow. Um, 
just crazy. So yeah. yeah, no one was talking about becoming dads back Parents, then. We were yeah. just wondering when we were going to die. Now, obviously, I have, there are a few exceptions. I, I know two or three guys who actually did become dads during those times, and they you know, were all HIV negative. Um, but so it just wasn't in the cards. That said, I had several nieces and nephews with whom I was very close, and uh, Ferd had a bunch, even more nieces and nephews, but they're all in Holland. Ferd's Dutch, by the way. He came here only a few months before we met. Um, and so I always knew I loved kids and little ones. You know, I, I also became instantly close with all my, my close friends from college once they started having children. Um, and so I knew I always loved having kids, but it wasn't for many years until after the so-called cocktails um, came around that, um, you know, for whatever reason, I made it through the worst of the HIV, the AIDS crisis, and was still around. And um, that we finally said, "Hey, you know, maybe we can talk about fatherhood." So oh. that was about ten years later, actually. And wow. did did you start that conversation, or did he? I did not. I thought by then we were too old. So by now, I was in my uh, let's say upper. Th- well, I was probably around 40 years old and Ferd is five years older than me. And we had just recently moved to New York City and we were going to Fire Island in the summers and um, we didn't have a lifestyle that was conducive to parenthood. But <laughs> yeah, okay. I remember um, when I was 42, we got a dog, we, uh, a little chihuahua named Duke. And um, he became a center of our universe. And, you know, we would leave parties because we had to go home and walk Duke. Or yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't go to brunches if it was really nice weather because we wanted to take Duke to Central Park instead. And wow. we started talking about, you know, how much we loved this entity and to be able to pour our love into something that wasn't about us. And uh, then Ferd said, you know, Brian, I really, I, I always knew you were meant to be a dad. I see the way you are with Duke. Imagine if, if we had an actual person um, that we were taking care of. And so that was the start of our journey to fatherhood. Um, and, I say, uh, maybe I'm just emotional today, but I'm like, I want to cry because that is so beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, the metamorphosis of how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's true. And um, we went to an adoption conference in New Jersey and I went because I kept telling Ferd that we were just too old. So I was 43 and he's five years older than me. Um, and this adoption conference had, I saw the agenda and they had one session that I wanted to go. And literally the title of the session was, so you think you're too old to adopt. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so we went into this room with, for this session it was packed. I mean, it was in some college um, setting and the classroom was absolutely packed. And I looked around. I was by far the youngest in the room. And my husband was by far the second youngest in the room. Wow. And we left thinking, okay, I guess we're oh, not too we're young. To yeah. It's all relative, right? So um, that was the official start of our adoption journey. Okay. So... How, I mean, we also, I mean, I know 
a lot of times it seems people like we focus just on surrogacy and that journey as well. But I mean, we love to talk about people's adoption journeys. So talk about how that went for you and especially coming out of the HIV crisis and things like that. Did What barriers did you face during that time? So mostly they were self-inflicted, um, okay. honestly. Hmm. Um, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I got my HIV doc to sign off first. And he told me that I was, you know, based on how everything was going, I was likely going to live a long life and I was going to manage my HIV status the way people manage living with diabetes. Um, and so I really had to get over that. Um, and then we just both agreed that we wanted to adopt. And um, we found an adoption agency at that same conference um, that had told us that they had worked with a lot of gay men. In fact, even more coincidentally, they had worked with a lot of gay men from Holland who were adopting oh. actually here in the States. Hmm. So we just felt like a special affinity with them right away. Um, and they, they matched us, I, you know, then we did our home study and we created our profile, et cetera. All this was done, of course, offline. Um, yeah given that what? Was like 15 years I know, ago. right? I know. What yeah. was that? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and eventually we were matched with a woman. Uh, she was in high school and she had already given birth to her baby. And she was living oh. with her high school boyfriend, high school aged boyfriend, who was not the dad and didn't want to be a dad. Oh. Um, and so she was going to give her baby up for adoption. So we went and met her. I got to hold the baby and, um, of course, fell instantly in love. And she said to us, she looked at us and said, well, you're going to be his dad's. Um, but she had some some stipulations. Um, okay. So she wanted to keep him until she could take him to his six-month well visit. And as she just explained Tasha it was her way of just knowing that she had done the you know well by him for the first six months of his life and then she would feel comfortable about sort of handing him over to us he also, she also wanted that has to us. be really terrifying as a oh, as an adoptive yeah. parent though it, it was scary and and she also wanted us to keep his first name which all and we agreed of course to do that our agency told us, you know, these were sort of red flags in terms of like, was she really ready and willing to give up her baby? Did she really want to do that? Yeah, yeah. And so we probably, because of those feelings, we you know, got her with a social worker right away, spent a fair amount of money, um, hired a lawyer for her, for her behalf as well. And we went back and forth for about two, three months. And she actually eventually left the boyfriend and took the baby and we never heard from her again. Oh, and and oh, that was really sad. Wow. That was really okay. difficult for us. But at the end of the day, she was his birth mom and the decision was hers yeah. and hers alone to make. So as difficult as it was for us, we had to understand that. Um, we knew, like I said, the agency warned us that these were unusual yeah. requests, but the problem is I had held the baby and yeah, I became instantly attached. And so I said, okay, well, you know, we'll let, we'll, we'll follow this through because how could I, how could yeah. I not at that point? 
So what happened next? So then we said, okay, we're not getting any younger. Maybe we won't become dads through adoption. Uh, and so we started looking into surrogacy. But of course, you guys know I'm HIV positive. So I had heard rumors of something that was described to me as sperm washing, um, that they were doing it in Rome at the time. So I was working full time. Ferd actually was in between. The whole time he was here, He first he was on a visa for uh, being a student. He was getting his PhD, and then he had various uh, jobs, and they were all temporary you know, teaching jobs. And so he had various visas. At this time, he, he had stopped teaching, and so he was sort of full-time trying to figure out how he could become dads. He looked into surrogacy and found out that here in Massachusetts, there was a research lab that had worked... At the time, it turned out they had worked with about 90 different men who were all HIV positive. Uh, I recall most of these men were straight and they were in relationships with women and they wanted to have babies together. And so they had figured out that, um, that they could do it if, you know, if you met certain medical criteria. So if your HIV was undetectable, typically meant uh, that they'd be able to clear you for giving birth and not passing on HIV to the woman or to the baby. And so we signed up with them. Um, and our goal was that, you know, for and I would both sort of donate our sperm, our semen, and see how that went and have a baby that way. Um, but as it turns out, first little guys didn't work. And so we put oh, the HIV wow. positive one. Wow. Um, and, and, and I'd love to give a shout out to that program because I know that they are the kind of the original one. It's, it's the Bedford Spar Bedford program. Bedford Research yeah. by a Dr. Yeah. Ann Kiesling, who is wonderful and her son is great. Yeah. He, he runs the lab. Uh, yeah, it is a great program. Um, and so we were one of the first gay men that they worked with. And um, we then end up uh, connecting with Circle Surrogacy here in Boston. And uh, we started our process, our journey here, but we had some immigration issues going on at the same time. Oh. Um, as I said, for Hudson, I couldn't sponsor him, right? Because back You, were, ma you days, weren't married, we right? We weren't married. And, and even if we had been married, because Massachusetts was the first state in the nation to allow marriage, um, we would have only gotten uh, statewide benefits, right? And immigration is only one of the federal benefits you get from marriage. So yeah. I couldn't sponsor him. And so believe it or not, as all this was going on, we ended up moving to Canada because Canada oh. recognized our relationships and I was able to get um, a work visa um, in Canada. And so Ferd and Duke and I um, had made the move to Canada, but I'm sorry, I need to backtrack because I forgot to tell you what happened. Right. So we, we talked to the research lab, found out we could go through with surrogacy. They recommended our agency and the fertility clinic to use, the IVF clinic, I should say. And so we met with Circle. We signed a contract with them. And then three days later, our adoption agency called us oh. to tell us that a baby boy was born in Brooklyn uh, three days earlier, and did we want him? 
So oh we took Levi home from the hospital two days later. Wow. Oh my goodness. It was crazy. And then we're like, oh no, what do we do? We have, we have um, this whole surrogacy thing that we started. And we said, well, we'll just try to slow down the process, but we still want Levi to have siblings. And we yeah. might as well, you know, we signed the contract with the agency already and gave him a big non-refundable deposit. So we'll, we'll slow that down. And um, it was while we were on the surrogacy journey towards the beginning that Ferd, uh, because he was living here as a tourist at the time, he actually had to leave the country every three months as oh. any European kid. And then he would come, he just had to leave, go to an embassy and then come back. Oh. Um, and so shortly after Levi was born, it was one of those times, you know, it was another three month period for him. He had to leave the country. When he came back in, the immigration officer said, Hey, I see what you've been doing for the last well, it's been a oh. years. He said, I'm going to make a note in the system. And I can tell you right now that in another three months, if you have to leave because you don't, you know, you don't have any other visas, you will not come back into this country. No. Oh, so we have to figure out, oh, no, do we stay here with Ferg living illegally or do we move? Um, and so we brought our young son and Duke and moved to Canada. Um, wow. And we were, while we started our Sharisi journey. So it was really wow. crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Relocating to Canada. Yes. Um, and with the surrogacy agency, did they purposely take their time matching? How long was it till you heard news there? So it actually wasn't all that long. Um, but, yeah, you know, back then it wasn't as so common um, to have HIV positive guys going through a surrogacy journey. So it probably took a while, longer time to match us with a surrogate or a gestational carrier, actually, as they are. Um, yes. And our gestational carrier was wonderful. She was living in West Virginia, um, so it wasn't very convenient for us when we lived in New York or then we uh, in Toronto. Um, but the girls were born 17 months after Levi. Wow. And, um, so back in... And, I was saying, and then you had to go by yourself then, right? To go pick them up, too. Uh, well, no, for a kid come then because right. he was now coming with his Canadian oh, green Canadian. Oh, okay. Got okay. it. Okay. Um, and so I, I should also clarify something. So back in those days, um, doctors, uh, the fertility docs would say, okay, so... If you implant one embryo, your chances for success are, I, I don't remember the, uh, maybe it was like 35% or 40%. But if you plant two embryos, the chances for success of having one baby went up to like 70%. A short mm -hmm. it, it, it also increases the odds for twins, but not nearly as much. And so basically they were telling, you know, you implant at least two embryos. Yeah. And so we did. We implanted two embryos and... Of course, they both took and stayed in LR. Uh, like I said, 17 months younger than Levi. Uh, today, wow. the technology has gotten so much better um, yeah. that at least for gay men, because when we go through a surrogacy journey, right, we have the best of the best of the best. We have really, really healthy egg donors. And so they make very healthy eggs. We choose a, a gestational carrier who's under 40 who has given birth at least once before and is done with her own family building and is very very healthy so it's 
rigorous testing that goes on for her. So we have basically the best scenarios. And so most people, you know, just implant one embryo today. Yeah, um, and, and vitrification improved about five or six years ago too, which really helped with that too. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. um, but back then we were told no to, to do two and we're like, really, you know, mm-hmm. don't need twins. We already have one. <laughs> um, but so surprise. That, yeah, surprise, right. Um, and not only was it twins, but it was twin girls, which was, a <laughs> uh, household was filled with testosterone. Um, so <laughs> that was interesting. But yeah, so the girls were born in Toronto. I mean, so we were living in Toronto. They were born in um, West Virginia. And we got a call when our gestational carrier was going to, she was, she had given birth to twin boy to twins for another gay couple about a year before we met her. And uh, it was like at 35 weeks in one day. And hmm. they took the girls out of her at 35 weeks in one day for us as well. Wow. Um, oh, wow. So we got a call and saying that they were going to induce labor. Um, and so we need to get down there right away. So we had, because they told us that she'd given birth to 35 weeks of twins before, we actually had a plant all set. Bird's mom, who was 80 at the time, flew in from Holland to take care of Levi and Duke while we drove oh, wow. to West Virginia. Yeah. The, got, we arrived shortly after the girls were born. Um, and then we had to stay long enough to get them their passports hmm. um, all set. And then we drove them home to Toronto. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Wow. And then you moved back to the United States eventually, right? That's what if, we if did I move back. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we got as I said, for night. Our first date was that Sunday, Father's Day, which was June twentieth, nineteen ninety three. So looking back, I guess we were always destined to become dads. Um, oh, right. Uh, we, I love got, that. we got married exactly twenty years later, June twentieth, two thousand thirteen. Um, while we were living in Canada. Six days later, the law changed here in the States. And oh, the six court. days later. Wow. Six days later. And they said that um, that wherever their marriage, wherever uh, marriage equality was allowed in the States, those those people would get access to the federal benefits as well. But it, so Ferd's like, oh, we got to go back. He, yeah. He loved New York, so we got to go back. And I'm like, well, that's great. So we'll go back to the States. And in some states, our family will be recognized, and other states, they won't. So I was yeah. like, no, I'm not going back there mm. under those conditions. And so it wasn't until, I, I don't remember, honestly, um, you probably have better memory. It was a year, about a year later when the laws changed completely and marriage equality was the law of the land, uh, the lay of the land. And that's when we decided to return home okay. uh, to the States. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And at what point were you like, I want to do more, I want to help others? How did that evolve? Sure. So I would say throughout our adoption or surrogacy journeys, there wasn't really a time where either of us felt like just really confident about what we were going through or what decisions we were making. Um, Fur and I are both we tend to make decisions based on our heart and in our gut, much less so than our brain, which I'm going to blame my dad for <laughs> passing on to me and I meet it for it. Um, it. 
often serves us well, but not always. Um, sure. And so, but there wasn't a time where we really felt like, okay, we got this. We understand all the steps. We're in, we're in as much control as we can, etc. And I remember thinking, wow, it would be great to talk to others that had gone through this already. And then I also thought, you know, it was a lot for us, right? Like first adoption, then surrogacy. And I thought it would be great to share our experiences to help others as well. Because back in those days, I knew very few gay dads. I knew most, the few that I did know, I, I knew three who had done it as openly gay men. Anyone else that I had met did it what I referred to as the old fashioned way, right? They were in a heterosexual relationship. Um, and, and had babies that way. So I thought it would be great. Maybe I could share my experiences. And so I probably came up with the concept in my head for what became gays with kids very early on. And then even more so once we gave, uh, once we became dad, I was going to say once we gave birth, once we became dads, uh, it really, so I realized that while we had all the same challenges and issues and concerns that I imagine any parent of newborn would have, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, there were certainly some things that were unique to us. So for example, wherever we went, and I mean the pediatrician, um, the nurse's aide who came and spent the first couple of weeks with us, uh, night times, or uh, we went to the daycare facility, or we would just go outside with Levi, People wanted to understand our story. Um, and just, you know, we would constantly get comments like, oh, mom's day off, et cetera. And so we were constantly having to explain, especially, and then when the girls joined us, and I remember in Toronto, they came, so they were born in October, and we would, we had like really nice weather through November. And so we would take Levi, Ella, Sadie, and Duke on walks. And it was like we were the circus sideshow. Everyone had to come up and talk to us, figure out what these two guys were doing with all these babies. Um, and so I was just like, wow. Uh, everyone clearly thinks that, you know, moms are responsible for raising children. They just couldn't get that there were two men doing this. And so I really, really wanted to be able to relate with other gay dads. But I was working full-time from home. Fur was a full-time stay-at-home dad. Um, and there's just no time to even think about doing anything differently. Sure. Or right. You survive when you have that many little Correct. kids. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> and so it wasn't until the kids were all out of diapers and eating solid foods. Levi was maybe in preschool. Um, that I said, you know, I'd still like to share my story and I would love to help others become dads. And I'd love to connect with other dads. And so, um, I, we launched Gays with Kids, actually be nine years in March. Um, and uh, my goal then was, and still is, number one, to help gay men become dads. And then once we are dads, just to help navigate fatherhood, create a community uh, where we can share our stories, et cetera. And the way we went about doing that is to write stories. Um, we probably over the years have featured, I don't know, we've published way over a hundred, I mean, over a thousand such stories um, of what it was like for us to become dads. But, you know, we always told our stories sort of anecdotally from the dad's standpoint. 
over the years, I would say we started to meet with some surrogacy agencies or an IVF clinic, the doctors whose names kept coming up in our stories or the adoption agencies that we heard about most often. But still, most of our stories really focused on, on telling this from the aspect of the dad. And over the years, people would you know thank us. We would hear uh, either comments on social media or emails, um, et cetera. We would just get people saying, thank you so much. And like all different people, I remember early on, I don't know how they found us, two different moms approached me to say thank you. They each uh, had a, a son who was a teenager. One was 14, the other was 16, who had recently come out to them. And they were so grateful mm. to learn what their oh. son's lives could be like and to share that with their son and their husband. Um, and I, so that was the first time I realized that we had another uh, impact, which I hadn't counted on, but I'm very proud of, which is we helped change hearts and minds and we helped yeah. that other people see. Uh, yeah, that turned out to be huge. And so I'm really proud of that. But it wasn't until about three years ago, I was on Facebook and some guy started messaging me and said, I want to thank you so much. You've inspired me. And I said, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And he said, would you mind just doing a quick video chat with me? I'm like, it's a little weird, but okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we get on Facebook video chat and he says, I just wanted to see you, to tell you face to face how much you've inspired me and how much you've inspired the community. And I started getting teary-eyed. And for the first time, instead of just saying, thank you, that means so much to me, I asked a question. I said, that's really great to hear. I so appreciate that. Um, but can you tell me, what are you going to do now? And I could see him like look up into the, into the sky. And then he shrugged and said, I don't know. I guess I'll have to wing it. And I had one of those moments like, <laughs> What an idiot I've been. I haven't helped anyone become a dad. Not to minimize the impact we've had on inspiring people and to help change hearts and minds, but I didn't really tell people, I didn't make their task to change the father any easier than mine was for my husband and me. And so it was that conversation um, that led to our launch of what I call GWK Academy, which I hope becomes known as the very first stop in any gay or queer man starting to fatherhood. Because the first thing we do is make sure you understand all your options. And then once you have figured out whether it's adoption, foster adopt, domestic private adoption of a baby, international adoption, or you want to become a biological parent, um, and we make sure you understand all that's involved at a high level on those different journeys. And then once you determine which path is best for you and your family building, we ask you to enroll either in our surrogacy and IVF guide, and this is all on our app, by the way, GWK Academy app, or in our adoption foster adopt guide. And there we take you to, we, my whole thing is I wish I had been educated. I wish there were resources to told us what to expect, you know, how long the journey is going to take, what the different types of family building partners, people and organizations mm-hmm. are going to have to work with, how much will it cost? 
um, what are the t- major challenges that I'm going to have to overcome so that I can be prepared in advance? Um, everything that's involved that you need to know. And we do that through those guides. And in addition to that, they get coaching, unlimited coaching calls or with me, we connect them with mentors, dads who've gone through the process that you're about to undertake, but much more recently than I did have. And then we even connected with a few family building partners. Um, so I hope that, you know, they, they agree that, um, that this is a much easier way to go through the process rather than try to figure it out on their own or God forbid, going to Google and trying to figure it out that way. Yeah. And I will say, and just for people who are, you know, listening in like this, they're curious about this. And I, Brian has very kindly allowed me access to it. So I've been able to poke around in there. Um, but um, the, all the things in there are bite-sized too. It's like laid out in like a ton of modules. I think the longest one I've seen is 15 minutes. Most yep. of them are 10 or under. Um, so that you can really get like a very quick overview of each individual piece. It, it makes it less overwhelming to be able to grab things in small chunks. Yes. Yeah. That was very important for us as well. I appreciate you saying that. Jen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great little app. So. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. And someday I hope to be working with you both on this. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes you know, of I was going to say something. Of yeah. course. Of course. <laughs> so just so everybody knows with this thing, um, we only work with a handful of organizations those that have been in the game for a while and who are not only experts at what they do, but they're as passionate as I am about helping gay men become dads. And uh, you guys certainly meet those requirements. And so when you're ready to start uh, inviting new uh, potential dads um, to the journey, hopefully we'll be able to get you as part of our, our small exclusive network. Oh yeah, no, and I know I know Ellen would love to talk legal with you at all times. So with anyone, legal is the best. So fun, right? (laughs) So what does the future bring? I mean, obviously, no more baby. Well, I don't say obviously. I assume no more babies at this point for you. But but since this app is your baby, what 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 does it look like for you in the future? Um, actually, I've got a a little. I'm hoping actually someday that uh, so one of our kids, um, Ella has is on the autism spectrum and has some other issues. Um, when we get her a little bit older, maybe when she's like 15 or 16, I'm hoping that we can open our doors to foster kids. There are right. something, since creating this app, I've learned uh, a lot about the foster care system and um, not, you know, these, there are 400,000 kids in the foster care system here in the U.S. alone. And 25%, well, so I should say, so for everyone listening, the foster care system is designed, its goal is to reunite the children in the system with someone in their birth family. It doesn't even have to be the mom or dad. It could be right. a cousin twice removed. But many of the kids in the foster care system have already been completely freed for adoption, meaning that there is no birth family for them ever to be connected with. And actually, that's about 20, represents about 25% of those 400,000 kids. So there are actually over 100,000 kids waiting to find their forever families. And so I hope that um, sometime we can actually um, grow our family through foster care because there's so many 
kids out there through no fault of their own who just need loving, safe homes. So that's, I hope, in the future. The second is, I just, you know, I'm looking forward to growing um, to growing GWK Academy. And like I said, I, I truly hope, I mean, we set it up so that I hope it's the very first stop on any gay or queer men's journey to fatherhood. Uh, and I, my thing is I talk to everybody who signs up for the app. I don't know how many apps you can download and actually connect with a human. Um, but yeah. I like to make sure I talk to everyone before they get started to make sure they understand how to take full advantage of all that we offer through the app and that we're helping them. Um, and uh, so I'm just looking forward to growing the number of calls I have. Uh, I call those co coaching calls. So I'm looking forward to growing the number of coaching calls that I have every week because I can't imagine doing anything better than just talking to people who want to become parents. That's fantastic. Well, we so appreciate you sharing your story and all the amazing work you've done to support others. Is there anything else that's important to, to add before we close? Final no. point thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's what I'd say. If you thought of becoming a dad and you just thought it wasn't possible, I'm here to tell you it absolutely is possible. And um, I'd love to share with you and talk to you about how to make your dreams possible. I just want to make sure everybody out there knows that truly um, becoming a parent is possible for them as well. Perfect, perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Brian. We really appreciate you. Oh, thank you both so much. I really appreciate your interest and you guys inviting me to, to join your podcast. Thank you to Brian for sharing your lovely story and for all the work you do to help people not feel alone, just like what we do with this podcast. So we, we are so moved that we feel so aligned with you. <laughs> I know. I was like, I love that our like whole, like, don't make people not feel alone. Like it's like our vision is becoming real, right? Like, like to let people see that families can be formed in so, so, so many ways. It's absolutely amazing. Um, also amazing is when people leave us reviews or stars on iTunes. We do love that. Uh, or, or when you reach or out they buy, Or if they buy merch. Oh. I don't, we haven't mentioned merch oh, in a while. The website we still not. has merch that if you want to get a phone case with a sperm with headphones, just a really great gift. I mean, it's hard to think what else right? one might want for a birthday. A or mug, other. a yeah. t-shirt. I mean, I think there are like joggers, like pants, you know, yes. so like. Sperm, I mean, all, sperm wearing headphones, joggers. Yes. Right. Be the cool kid. All the things. So no, we love it when people do that. But also more than that, even if you don't want to spend your money on those things, um, <laughs> we definitely love to hear from people, you know, send us an email, give us a phone call at 303-997-1903. And we, we'd love to hear from you. So as always, as we like to close out, huge thank you to our team, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Melissa. And of course, thank you to you for being here and listening to us. Mm -hmm.